morning as we're joined via satellite with all of our campuses around Wisconsin here. Let's all stand together. Glad that you're being a part of celebration service this morning. We're going to say our uh, uh, Apostles' Creed. This is what we all believe together as believers here at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may all be seated. And again, I'm so glad to have all of you joining with us today, worshiping God together on this snowy morning. Uh, this morning in today's message, I want to open by reading a scripture found in uh, 2 Corinthians. This is the second epistle that Paul wrote to the Corinthians uh, at the church in Corinth. Uh, and I want to read from the uh, fifth chapter, verse 17. Fairly familiar verse of scripture. It says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, hallelujah, and the new has come. Well, I've entitled today's message, The Ghost of Christmas Past. The symbolism, of course, is taken from Charles Dickens' classic tale, The a Christmas Carol. And uh, it's about how we deal with our past and how our past and the patterns of our past can affect us as we live out our Christian faith today. The past can be quite powerful in people's lives. And I think a lot of people don't really understand how that all plays in our Christian experience. Uh, but to start it off, I actually want to read uh, the part of Dickens' story where he describes that first apparition, that first ghost that visits Mr. Scrooge on that Christmas Eve. It reads, the curtains of his bed were drawn aside and Scrooge, starting up into a half-recumbent attitude, found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor. It was a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as an old man. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white as if with age. And yet the face had not a wrinkle in it, and the tenderest bloom was on its skin. The arms were very long and muscular, the hands the same as if its hold were of uncommon strength. It wore a tunic of the purest white, and round its waist was bound a lustrous belt, the sheen of which was beautiful. It held a branch of fresh green holly in its hand, and in singular contradiction of that wintry emblem, it was dressed, trimmed with summer flowers. The strangest thing about it, though, was that from the crown of its head there sprung a bright, clear jet of light. Even this, though, when Scrooge looked at it, 
with increasing steadiness was not its strangest quality. For as its belt sparkled and glittered now in one part, now in another, and what was light one instant at another time was dark, so the figure itself fluctuated in its distinctness, now being a thing with one arm, now with one leg, now with 20 legs, now a pair of legs without a head, now a head without a body, of which dissolving parts no outline would be visible in the dense gloom wherein they melted away. Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? asked Scrooge. I am. Who and what are you? Scrooge demanded. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? inquired Scrooge, observant of its dwarfish nature. No, your past. As we prepare to say goodbye to the old year and welcome in the new, I want to talk to you this morning about the past and the haunting power it can display in your life. Now, the past is a tricky thing for many people of faith. For some, it's as if the past never releases its grip on their minds. The memories of their sins and failures ever being replayed before them. These people often find it difficult to find a state of grace where they can walk about in the freedom that Christ's sacrifice provides. Others, joyous of the knowledge that their sins have been forgiven, God having cast their transgressions into the sea of his forgetfulness, mistakenly think that their past can no longer affect their behavior, only to find themselves falling again and again into patterns that seem to hold them hostage. And it's very confusing for them. You see, it's a, it's a common mistake for believers, particularly young believers, but oftentimes seasoned believers, to forget that their past can play a strong factor in whether or not they can live a truly successful Christian life. You see, Christianity is kind of an odd thing. True Christianity is not like any other religion on earth, although there are forms of Christianity that seem to duplicate those other forms. But what I'm speaking of is typically speaking in religious thinking, people think what I need to do is change my exterior. I've got to change what I am doing. I've got to do something to myself. I've got to pray harder. I've got to read harder. I've got to do some sort of penance or suffering or surround myself with religious in, in tra trappings and go to church as much as I can and have holy people pray for me and all of this, all of this external stuff, hopefully, some way, somehow can touch my spirit and I'll be transformed into God's loving grace and kindness and find forgiveness for my sins. Virtually every religion in the world at some level thinks in those sorts of terms. They discipline their bodies. Some of them beat their own bodies. Some of them go on long pilgrimages, extended fasts, denying themselves, meditating for extended periods of time. Why? All in a futile effort 
to transform what's happening on the inside. And again, there are people who call themselves Christians who do virtually the exact same thing. Thinking that if I just fix enough on the outside, it will eventually somehow change me on the inside. But in true Christianity, nothing could be further from the truth. For the Christian faith is exactly the opposite. It starts by being transformed on the inside. It starts there. It's the oddest thing. You've heard me speak of this before. Other religions, you've got to learn about the religion. You've got to study about the religion. You've got to reflect on the religion. You've got to go to classes about the religion and read books about the religion. It's eventually at some point, then you say, okay, I would like to be now a Jew or a Buddhist or a Muslim or whatever the, the list of religions might be. But true Christianity is exactly the opposite. It's the oddest thing. You start by really knowing hardly anything. You don't need to know much of anything except that Christ died for you. And that he being the sacrifice for our sins can give us new life. And we start believing in that sacrifice. And God touches us on the inside and transforms us on the inside. As ignorant as some of us were at the time. Knowing nothing. We start with this spark of life on the inside of us. It's called being born again, Jesus said. You can't, he said, you can't get to heaven unless you've been born again, unless you've been transformed first from the inside. And then in true Christianity, what happens then is having been touched by God on the inside, now we have to work that to the outside now we start transforming and becoming on the outside and living out what God has done in do you see the difference it's really quite amazing it's not about on the outside trying to touch God on the inside it starts the other way around so a lot of people they come to God in faith they've been born again they express faith in Christ they start coming to church services like this but yet they struggle because they seem to keep doing some of the same stupid things they did before. Falling into the same patterns, some of the same habits, some of the same sins. Why? Because they have been so programmed all of their lives to act and think and process in a certain way. And make no mistake about it, when you are under the greatest stress in your life, you will always reach for the patterns that are most comfortable to you. It's always that way. That's why some of you, as lovely and sweet as you are coming to church, under times of pressure, some of y'all are just as mean as rattlesnakes. You just say some of the nastiest things, react in the harshest of ways, and if we could see you, we'd all go, oh my goodness, look at the pastor. <laughs> why does that happen? Because of these patterns that have been so ingrained in us that we've lived out over and over again. Some of you are quite professional at this. Some of you not only have these patterns programmed, and you, re you rehearse them in your heads over and over again. You think to yourself, boy, if that guy ever did that to me, I'd punch him in the face. Somebody ever treated me like this, I'd give him a piece of my mind. I'd say, you blankety, blankety, blankety. Oh, I shouldn't think like that. But you keep rehearsing it over and over again. Sure enough, the pressure comes on. All of a sudden, you, and you go off. And you say, what have I done? How terrible. Why would I do such a thing? Because you haven't worked out what God has done in. For a lot of us, our sins, our attitudes, our mouths, a lot of our mouths are really, you really see it is in the way you talk. 
the way you talk under pressure and the anger that spews out from us. It's, 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 like, it's like riding a bicycle, you know. You never quite forget it. You just, it just comes to you naturally. You can go 30 years without riding a bicycle and then suddenly hop on a bike and boom, bada bing, you can ride a bike. How is that? Because you taught your body this. Physic, this is true actually in any physical endeavor. You learn a skill with your hands by rehearsing it over and over and over and over and over again so that it becomes second nature to you. Athletes do this all the time. They train and do the same things over and over and over and over and over again. So without thinking about it, it just comes naturally to you. Uh, now obviously, if you're, if you're going to stay at a real high level, you need to constantly do that. But even at, at some level, things stay with you. For example, I hardly ever practice uh, the piano anymore, uh, mainly because I'm lazy. But besides that, I don't really have time for it. I do other things. And, and, uh, but yet there's things, even though I, I never practice, I can still remember it. It comes second nature to me. Well, you must really practice that hard. No, <laughs> I never practice. But I can remember because I've done it over and over again. Jazz chord. Now, if I actually practice a lot, I'd be a lot better and more professional. But these things come natural because I studied this. I practiced this over and over again. He, Parent with kids know the hell of which I speak. You hear them constantly go. But I tell you, you know, people who have electronic keyboards with, with, with headphones, that's a gift from God. <laughs> practice, practice, yes, do it over again. Yes, I can't hear you, but the old fashioned, you know, you just. Then it gets easier. <laughs> Why? Because you've done it over and over and over and over, and it just comes second nature to you. Well, so is our patterns in our life. We have learned how to think about life, how to process, how to respond to life in certain ways. And depending on where you're at. Now, this is one of the reasons you want to teach your children to do this stuff right in the first place. If you teach your kids the Bible, you teach them righteous thinking and righteous principles, they will not struggle as badly as some of you struggle today. Why? It's all about the patterns of the past. But some of us who've come through very nasty pasts and we've come to God in faith and celebrate his goodness and grace in our lives still struggle and at times it can be so frustrating. It's the ghost of Christmas past with its grip on us, haunting us. We say, how can I get rid of this thing? Actually, one of the biggest areas in life that I see people not factoring in the past like they should is when, when young people choose a mate. And, uh, you know, it's when you're single, you got your own stuff to deal with. When you're married, it's times two. And, and things can get crazy. And, 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 you know, the Bible is, is, there's a lot of gray areas in the Christian faith. But there's some that are absolutely black and white. And one of them, you young people, listen to me. You single people, listen to me. One that is absolutely black and white is the Bible says a Christian should only marry another Christian. 
Now you can do it if you want, but then you're going to inherit all of that nastiness that comes along with it. But then oftentimes I'll see people who, you know, you know, is he a Christian? Yes, I'm so excited. We're going to get married. Yeah, how long has he been a Christian? Ah, about a week and a half. And while technically they're obeying the Bible because he's expressed faith, it's shocking how often I get emails and phone calls and letters from people who are struggling miserably, miserably in their lives. And they say, I don't understand it, Pastor. You know, I waited and waited until we became a Christian and then we got married and it's just awful. It's because they didn't factor the past. You have got patterns there that you're going to have to deal with. And trust me, people, during the dating process, if there's one thing you should be looking at, it's the patterns in that person's life. Look at the way they live. Look at how they handle pressure. Look at the way she, her mother treats her father, because that's probably how she's going to treat you. Look at the patterns in these things. We, we, we get so caught up in the state of grace and we're so excited we don't think it matters. It does matter and then people struggle so miserably in their marriages. They get married with all the best of intentions. They're so excited. It's going to be fabulous. It's going to be great. We're going to be living la vida loca. But they get together and pretty soon they're living la vaca caca. Which means cow poop. Vaca is cow, caca is caca. How come I got so much caca in my life? It's because all these patterns. These patterns, I'm telling you, most of the stuff dealing in people's lives where they struggle is all about the patterns of their past. In the church, we have all sorts of programs that we, we've got built for people struggling in various levels of your past, but it's about how do you change those patterns? You see, that's why Christianity is a constant work in progress. While on the one hand, we have been forgiven, we have been redeemed, God has touched us and cleansed us in the blood of his son, and we stand before him guiltless. Hallelujah! But now we've got to work that out. And it's a work in progress. Look at the person next to you and say, be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. I still have issues. I still have vaca caca in my life. So the question becomes, how do you do that? How do you work it out? How do you change those patterns? Can a person overcome their past? Yes, thank God, hallelujah. But only intentionally. It doesn't just happen because you believe in Jesus. Again, on the one hand, you've been completely forgiven and God will never remind us of the sins of our past. Yet on the other hand, our patterns of our past will drive us to repeat them unless we intentionally repeat the old patterns. Paul writes about it when he writes to the Roman Christians. He says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, his love for us, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Oh man, are you kidding me? Don't be conformed, okay? But how do you, how do you fix this? How do you not do that? And he tells us by being transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. You've got to change the way you think. Most of us who struggle in our Christian faith struggle because we suffer from stinking thinking. He says, if you will renew your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his perfect, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, the number one key to, to living a victorious Christian life is intentionally changing the way you think, changing the patterns, living intentionally as believers. 
That's why if you're going to truly grow in your faith, you have got to get involved in the word of God, read the scriptures, let those scriptures start to transform you. Trust me, listen, I love it that you show, I'm glad you guys showed up this morning. You know, a whole bunch of you didn't because they're going to snow, you know. 70,000 people will have no problem with it in about a half hour, but our people, you know, not everybody Christians, you know, heaven forbid we get snow on us. And I love it that you come to church. But honestly, if your only Christian experience is coming to a Sunday morning service, man, you're going to struggle. You are going to have a hard time. It takes more than this. As wonderful and as encouraging and as fabulous as this is, and you get to hear this really good-looking preacher every Sunday, it's fabulous. It's not enough. You have got to get intentional in your life to get these patterns inside of you, God's thoughts inside of you. That's why we have our Wednesday night Bible studies. Man, y'all ought to be our Wednesday night Bible study. You want to really learn the Bible? You want to really learn how to change the patterns of the past? How to think in new ways? You need to be here on Wednesday nights. So when we really start reading the Bible, you need to read the Bible on your own. You need this, and this stuff happens intentionally. People look at my wife and I and say, man, how have you been married successfully for 35 years? On purpose. On purpose, that's the answer. Intentionally. Intentionally. I mean, we both come from wackadoodle crazy families. Dysfunctionalville. Anybody come from a, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Man, I come from a long line of wacko. I just do. And usually those patterns keep being played out in every succeeding generation. It's like, it's like Groundhog Day. Never ends. Until you intentionally say no more. And you start letting God's patterns infiltrate your mind and transform you. Paul writes again, again to the Roman Christians about this. He says, those who live according to the sinful nature, the defeated people, have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit, the successful Christians, have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. What you think will determine how successful you are in living out what God has done inside of you. That's why Paul writes again to the Philippians. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, for heaven's sakes, think about these things. Because as you think, so you will live. In fact, much of the New Testament teaching is really a constant appeal for people to start living on the outside the glorious work that has been done on the inside. And it is such a travesty, again, that there are so many who call themselves Christians, so many churches, of denominations, whole denominations, who get this still completely backwards. It's all about fixing it from the outside and do enough and punish yourself enough and then you can get to a base of grace. No! Wrong! That's like every other religion in the world. Christianity, God redeems us on the inside. Now we need to work it to the outside. And that's so much of what the Bible teaches us. Here's a great example. Look how Paul handles the Corinthian men. These are the, the guys that live in the town of Corinth. They're believers, but they kept having a problem, shall we say. They had a pattern of hanging out with prostitutes. A definite pattern problem. Okay. But in their culture, this was a major deal. This is how people lived. They, all the pagan temples had uh, uh, temple prostitutes. This was, this was really a matter of normal daily life for these 
Corinthian men. They become Christians, are born again on the inside. God starts changing, but yet they kept falling into the pattern. How do you fix that? Because this will destroy you. You'll lose in the end. You keep doing these wrong things. Well, Paul over and over again says, man, you got to change the way you think. He writes to them. He says, guys, don't you know? Get it in your heads that your bodies are members of Christ himself. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. He said, you don't realize who you are. We're living so, so many of us live beyond, below our, stat- our stature in life. You know, I love these movies. Every once in a while you'll see a movie about some guy, you know, who doesn't realize that he's, uh, or he or she is really uh, the ancestor to some, the next in line for some king or something. You ever see movies like that? You know, they're, they're the, the king or the princess or something. And, and you get these little fantasy movies. I love it because I love to watch the transformation. All of it is about, as they tried to teach, because it's really funny to watch them start acting in their royal lines and they're doing all sorts of outrageous crazy things and everybody around them is saying no you can't do that anymore because of who you are when you realize who you are it will trend and as you watch them they start walking differently they start carrying themselves differently why because they start to realize who I am when you realize who you are you don't walk around like a scuzz bucket you're a king you're a prince you're a queen you're a princess you don't act that way that's what Paul is trying to say hello guys we don't live this way don't you realize who you are he goes do not do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body for it says the two will become one flesh but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit he says flee from this stuff run for your lives all other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know? Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Change the way you think. You want to live on the outside, the wonderful work that God has done on you the inside? The psalmist writes about it in Psalm 119. He asks the question so many people have asked. How can a young man keep his way pure? How do you do this? How can you do this? This is hard. How can you? Because at some level, on your own is impossible. In your own strength, it's impossible. He asks, how can you do it? And then he gives the answer. This is how you do it. By living according, oh God, to your word. If we'll let the word of God, the thoughts of God, the scriptures infiltrate our think about these things, it actually changes you. It transforms you. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But you can't if you don't know the truth. And it won't happen by osmosis. You can sleep every night with a Bible under your pillow. It will do nothing except give you a crooked neck. You have to read it. You have to absorb it. You have to get it into your life. He says, I seek you with all my heart. Don't let me go astray from your commands. And this is the kicker. This is how he does it. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart. What does that mean? Talk about memorizing. I've so read the stuff, I've memorized it. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But you cannot do that which you do not know. Don't kid yourselves. The past can have a terrible hold on you as Scrooge or as, as uh, the, the ghost that came to Scrooge was described by Dickens. The arms were very long and muscular. The hands the same as if its hold were of uncommon strength. Indeed, the ghost of Christmas past can display a great deal of strength as it strives to hold you 
in its grasp, forever dooming you to live out and repeat the patterns of failure and sin that you are all too familiar with. There's only one way to break it, stranglehold on your life. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind through God's word. This new year, let's make a resolution to be people of the word. People who will hunger and thirst for what God has to say in our lives. People who will begin to successfully live out what God has done in us. I'm going to ask the ushers everywhere to start coming forward and get ready to serve communion at all the campuses and the musicians can come back on the platforms getting ready to uh, end with our time of communion this morning. My question, of course, is have you experienced Christ on the inside of you in the first place? Without that, everything I've talked about is vanity, it's emptiness. Without truly experiencing Christ in the first place, you will be doomed to do the empty, hollow deeds that so many millions do of trying to get religion from the outside to work its way in. It doesn't work. It can never work. The only way to truly experience God's grace is to experience it first on the inside. You say, how is that possible? It's possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. We just celebrated Christmas and the wonder of his birth and all that stuff, but really, the wonder wasn't about his birth. The wonder, the amazement, the incredible miracle happened at his death when he willingly gave himself into the hands of violent, sinful men and took our punishment for our sins. His body was broken for us so that we could be whole. That's what we celebrate during communion. His blood was shed for us so that we could have forgiveness of sins. This is the time when we reflect on that incredible miracle. This is where it starts. Accepting his forgiveness and grace in your life. Maybe you've never experienced that. You can experience that this morning. Say, well, I don't really understand. It doesn't matter. You don't have to understand anything. All you need to understand is God loves you unconditionally. And I have no idea why. But he does. I know he loves me. I don't know why he does. I know me. I wouldn't love me. But he loves me. And he loves you. No matter where you're at. No matter what you've done. No matter the circumstances that you are facing in your life right now, you can experience God's forgiveness if you will willingly turn away from what you know is wrong and put your faith and trust in him. Let his miracle of grace begin in you today. And then he can start working that out into your life and changing your life from the inside out. Let's all bow our heads in a word of prayer. I'm going to invite you to join with us. I'm going to invite everybody at all the campuses to pray this prayer with me. It's kind of our way of encouraging everyone as they step forward in, in, in their step of faith this morning. But if you'll pray this prayer and mean this from the bottom of your heart, you can experience this wonderful work of grace that I'm talking about this morning. Let's pray this together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, that you loved me so much, you went to the cross. And you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life. And to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender to you. 